0: So Jesus would you take this word and this time would you help us to hear what you want us to hear and would you send us out of here different people as a result and we pray it in your name Jesus. Amen. Growing up in Southern California our house property was uh, bordered by two different neighbors one on either side of us. Uh, The neighbor on the one side of me I had a son about my age, and I don't remember who initiated it, like one of us invited the other over to his home, um, but we quickly became friends, and our families became good friends. As kids, we played baseball together, hide-and-go-seek. We slept over at each other's house, got into some trouble together. It wouldn't be a good friendship, right? You always got to get there a little bit. We went on vacation with each other. Our families found some common ground and uh, hobbies that we did uh, together. We did holidays together, so we're still friends today. Now, the neighbor on the other side was this older, intimidating, fear-inducing force of a man who, just to prove that he didn't like kids, built a fence between his house and ours. His purpose was to make sure that no kid ever ever, ever walked onto his property. Rumor had it that stepping onto Mr. Tansky's yard would result in immediate death. Like there were rumors flying around the neighborhood, though the names couldn't be remembered, of kids who'd wandered onto his property and then were never seen again. Whole baseball games came to a screeching halt with an errant throw or a foul ball that went on to Mr. Tansky's yard. You know, I'm not going to get that. You get that. Uh, Leatherberry, you hit the ball over there. I'm not going over there. You go over there. No one in our neighborhood knew this man, what he was like, the hobbies he had, or if if he had a family, or what kind of, you know, uh, like what he did for a living. All we knew was that he built a fence and the ball that bounced any ball that bounced over in his yard well that baby was a lost ball no one's going over there for that can you hear what is broken and what is missing in that story Uh, We've been going over the last several weeks through this sermon series on building community, and it's really been about building relationships, our marriages, our families, neighbors, uh, relationships we have with people that we work with or uh, people that we go to school with. And lots of different studies have shown us that what we uh, yearn for most and one of the things that makes life most meaningful and joy-filled are relationships, which a lot of you get because a number of months ago we took a congregational survey and found that what uh, we're looking for here, many of us, is community. We're looking for more of that, more community, to develop friendships with people who are just fun to be with and like who we can hang out with and do life together, who will know us. Now, having good relationships can be hard at times. There's a lot in our culture that sort of pushes back and works against relationships like the fact that we value independence. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happy hour, sorry, happy, and I knew I was gonna do that. <laughs> and that is on tape, that's good. <laughs> I had a shirt in college that said that, I can't get it out of my head. So, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness has turned into life is liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And so it's all up to us to get that as much as we can of it. The compelling story American hero story is about the guy who faces incredible odds, fights really hard but comes out the victor. Now another way our culture can push and work against relationships is the value that we place on success. So we self protect and we hide what we don't want others to see. And a third way that our culture pushes against relationships is time. Many of us live these lives, which are so full that there's no margin in our life for anything new, like relationships, which I personally get. Several years ago, my wife and I stepped into this stage of life which we call the treadmill. Now no one told us it was coming, but it was like life suddenly hit the high-speed button and we were running everywhere to everything, running our kids to this practice or to this game or to this rehearsal or to this friend's house or to the church, sometimes all of that in the same afternoon. And of course, nothing is in close proximity to one another, right? Our cell phones turned into walkie-talkies. And my wife and I started to sound like an emergency response team. You know, unit one to unit two, Kristen, come in. I just picked Lauren up at basketball practice on my way to get Chelsea. What? What do you mean, where's Jake? I thought you had Jake. Well, who's getting Jake? When was I supposed to be there? Where is he now? Oh, my gosh, you know. Who has time for relationships? Now, when Kristen and I were in our last church, we were asked to sponsor a young couple who was just joining the church at the time. And the church held these potlucks for new members, which provided this great opportunity for us to meet this couple. Tom and Sherry uh, had been married about as long as we had, and their two daughters were about the same ages as our two oldest. Now, sometime after the potluck, they invited us over to their house, and we invited them over to our house. We joined up and signed up to be in a small group together, prayed each other through some really tough times. Tom and and my wife uh, ran a marathon, and Sherry and I, who I think were the smarter of the group of us, we just watched. You know, go ahead, run your 26 miles, we'll be here, you know. We've done a lot of life together with that couple, uh, and looking back, really none of, neither of us, neither couple was looking for this lifelong friendship at the time. Um, but like my neighbor friend growing up, it started with an invitation, and it developed from there. Our lives have been so much fuller, richer, because of this friendship, which started at a church potluck and the four of us have had to work hard against those cultural pressures like independence and self-protection and no time margins but because we did we were able to build up this life-giving friendship and not offense. now in the passage this morning Jesus is talking to these muttering religious leaders and they are muttering to each other because Jesus is apparently hanging out with the wrong people this man, they say, welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know, such a troublemaker, this guy. Now, the culture Jesus was part of placed this really high value on hospitality, inviting people into their homes, eating meals together. Uh, it was one of the ways they did life together. It was about relationship building. But the religious leaders put strict rules on Who could be invited to events like that? And who shouldn't be invited to events like that? Religion had become a club, and most people didn't qualify for membership. But Jesus wasn't into religion. He was about showing the heart and the way of his Father. So he was often breaking those religious rules, which got him into a lot of trouble and got religious leaders muttering, like the ones in this passage that we read. So Jesus tells the parable of the lost son. And in this parable, there are two sons. There's an older son and a younger son. The younger son is cast in the role of the kind of people Jesus liked to hang out with. And the older son is cast in the role of the muttering religious leaders. The parable starts with this younger son absolutely humiliating his father and his family, betraying every act of love his father has ever offered him. He asks for his share of the inheritance right away, which in that culture was like divorcing yourself from your family and wishing your father dead. Only this was worse because what the son is really saying is, Dad, you can't die soon enough for me give me my inheritance now Wow, talk about a sense of entitlement proving once again that the six words every child learns early in life is I am therefore give it to me we parents and spend the next twenty or so odd years trying to prove to the child that our reason for existence is not you are and I will buy it for you you know but you owe me, or uh, uh, give it to me, soon turns into you owe me, which is what this younger child is saying to his father. Now, the father surprisingly gives the younger son the inheritance. The son leaves, and he eventually wastes it away. Things turn from bad to worse, and finally, the son decides to come back so that he can work as the father's hired hand. Remember He's no longer a son, right? Because he's disowned the family. So when the son is coming, he's just coming as a guy looking for a job. But long before he arrives home, the father sees him. And then in this totally amazing and unexpected act of grace, unconditional love, and acceptance, the father runs to the child, throws his arms around him, hugs him, kisses him, and welcomes him home. The father gets the best robe and he gets the best ring and he gets the sandals and he gives them to the son and then he throws this huge party for the whole community to come and join him in celebrating and honoring his son who was dead and is alive was lost and is found. So, they began to celebrate. Now, a lot of us have heard this story a few times in our lives. There's so much going on. There's this older brother who stays and a younger brother who goes, takes an inheritance, messes up, comes back. There's a father who just seems to be watching and waiting for this son. There are these servants who will do anything the father asks. And then there's this part of the story we didn't read, which is the older brother, who is just so offended by the father's generosity and his grace grace and his unconditional love, And, and he's so mad at his brother for taking all this that he refuses to join the party, which was Jesus' way of calling out those religious leaders. But the part of the story that I would just like to zoom in and focus on this morning... Is the part where the father takes the initiative. Where seeing his son, he just tears up the road, throws his arms around him, hugs him, and welcomes him home. This young man is unworthy to be called his son, unworthy to be part of the family, unworthy to be part of the community. He'd insulted and disowned everyone and everything. He burned every bridge before he left. He's exactly the kind of guy the religious leader said should be cut off and excluded. But when the father runs up the road in this story and throws his arms around the son, Jesus is saying exactly the opposite. See, broke, starving, and not even able to eat pig food, this guy's life couldn't have gotten any worse. One bad decision led to another bad decision led to another bad decision. And he suddenly found himself in the lowest low. But when the father runs out to meet him and he throws his arms around him and he gives him the robe and the ring and the sandals, the father is saying to everyone around that he has forgiven this son and restored him to relationship. This son is family again. Even the lowest are loved. Even the worst are accepted in this new family that God calls the church. Personal performance has nothing to do with it. What you and I have done has nothing to do with it. Because Jesus has done it all for us. When he died for us on the cross, he paid the price for every bad choice we've ever made, every shameful thing we've ever done, every person we've ever betrayed. Jesus paid for it all. He's got us covered. No matter who you are today, no matter what you've done in your life, no matter what is going on, Jesus loves you and he welcomes you. He accepts you for who you are, and there is nothing, no thing that can disqualify you because he has you covered. And as long as I am in ministry, I will never get tired of saying that, that Jesus loves us and welcomes us unconditionally. All he asks is that we receive that welcome, that we recognize our need for him, admit what we've done, surrender our lives to him, and commit to following him, and then Welcome home, it's potty time. Every Sunday morning is Welcome Home Sunday for us here at this church. Everyone who walks through the doors of this church is welcome. And we, as the people who have already experienced this life-changing power of the Father's unconditional love and acceptance, we get to be the ones to welcome folks, inviting them into our lives, or in some cases, inviting them back into our lives what goes on out here among us, it all happens because of what Jesus did there for us on the cross. When I was in seminary, uh, I took a position as a junior high director. Only thing is, I had never worked with junior high students before, and I wasn't very good at recruiting and building teams. Uh, But... I had a really cool big black Chevy Blazer with oversized tires and chrome rims, and I loved to take kids and did take kids to the beach during the summer every single Thursday, which meant kids loved me, and a lot of them came to youth group. But because I didn't know much uh, and I didn't, wasn't very good at recruiting leadership, well, um, there were no adults there to help me. Recipe for Disasters. Did you hear the plural in that word that I used? Disasters. Like one time I promised the kids that they could pick uh, the movie for youth group if they participated in Youth Sunday. Now, we don't have Youth Sunday, but uh, that's where the kids run the worship service. And so they did, man. They stepped up. They took leadership roles. They carried it off so well. Folks loved it. So they got to pick the movie, which uh, they did. It was a movie I'd never heard of before called Strange Brew. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, which, if you don't know anything about this movie, it turns out to be about two guys who love and drink a lot of beer, and that's the main plot. You fill in the rest. You fill in the blanks. I showed that at youth group. <laughs> Kids love me. <laughs> well, several months later... The church decided not to offer me a full time pastor position uh, that they'd been promising me all year. Now, actually, that didn't have anything to do with movie night with Rich. It was a budget decision. But it left my wife and I feeling pretty heartbroken and disappointed. But this retired pastor and his wife, who were part of the church, they reached out to us. They invited us over to their home. We had dinner. They listened to our story. They prayed for us. And then they connected us with another couple who did the same, encouraged us, and they pointed us to Seattle to consider positions here. Now, over the next four months, we spent time a lot of time with that first couple. They mentored us, helped us in uh, so many ways. He helped me become a better pastor. And then uh, four months later, I uh, received a position at a church in Mill Creek, and we moved. Now that couple made such a huge difference in our lives. They took the initiative. They made the first move, accepting us for who we were and loving us unconditionally. It was like they ran up that road and threw their arms around us, hugging us and welcoming us. Instead of being critical of me of dumb decisions that I had made, they showed us God's love in uh, in these tangible ways. They didn't ignore us. They didn't avoid us. They got engaged in our lives, listened to our story, prayed for us, and helped us get connected to this other couple. They helped us move through a really tough time, and that is the result and the life-changing power of a warm welcome. Warmly welcoming people means taking the initiative and inviting them into our lives because that's the way the Father welcomes us and it's the way he fills us with his love. Now, there's lots of ways that we can welcome someone. You can invite them to coffee or an invite them to your home for a meal. We can ask them to join us at a special event like a concert or a show somewhere. We can reach out and talk with someone uh, that we don't know before reaching out and talking with friends before or after a service. Or we can broaden the circle that we're in and invite some people to join us there. You can volunteer to serve in some kind of project or ministry, which uh, for a lot of people, especially for men, is, uh, is an easier way to get to know someone because doing stuff alongside is a lot easier than trying to figure something to talk about. Now, Throughout the week, you can pray for the people that you've met on Sunday, or you can ask God to, to just show you who to sit next to or that the person that you would sit, sit next to is someone that he'd like you to meet. One of the distinguishing marks of the early church was its love for one another. The book of Acts tells us they ate together. They, they, uh, they read scripture together. They did life together. And as a result, this fellowship developed such deep friendships that people would sell their stuff and give it to people in the church who, who had need, who were really struggling in life. To the watching world, this was both shocking and compelling. It was shocking because people who were so different—Jews and Greeks, uh, Samaritans and Medes—they were all caring for one another in these self-sacrificial ways, and it was compelling because this radical—it uh, was uh, because of this radical love that they had for one another. It was just so infectious, and who doesn't want to be part of a community like that? That is one of the reasons why the church grew 40 percent per decade over the first 300 years of its existence. Community doesn't just happen, it's made. It's intentional, one warm welcome at a time. It is hard to overstate the power that a warm welcome can have in a person's life. Now several people in our church over the last several months have already been doing community wherever they are. One of those is a guy named Norm O'Banion. So we interviewed Norm recently and put together a video. Here's his story.
1: My name is Norm Banion. My wife Kathy and I started attending Bell Prez about nine years ago. When we first started coming to church, we were pretty happy to just attend. We'd been involved in previous churches and wanted to show up on Sunday morning to be inspired by great music, great preaching, and then leave. We sat in the front rows of the sanctuary every week. We sat there because a lovely lady named Lois Cook sat up there and she reminds me of my mom. It just felt like home when we were near her. After a while, we started to notice something else. We were not the only ones that sat in that same area. We noticed that everyone around us had their own spot to sit. About four years ago, some friends that we sat by invited us to their home for brunch after church, where we met some more folks from Belprez. It gave us the model for a way to not just come to worship, but to have our church become our community. We wanted to be in community with those around us, with people that love Jesus. We wanted to be known. We wanted to know others. We wanted to do something about it. So we decided that the area that we sit in is the neighborhood, or the hood as we call it, and we started to be intentional about talking to those that sat around us. We decided that Sunday morning, hello, how are you, was just not enough for us. And so we asked people to come to our home for brunch after church. We got to know those who were right there in front of us all the time. It was amazing to see how easy it was, how fun it was to build community. We also found that we weren't the only ones that wanted community. Those around us wanted it as well. We came to realize that if we desired community, the best way to get it was right there in front of us. It's been so much fun to see how God is using simple things to help us build community. All it took was us Asking. Throughout this experience, I've learned that biblical community is people radically devoted to Christ, radically devoted to each other, and radically devoted to healing the world. Biblical community does not usually just happen, it's made, it's intentional. So what are you willing to do to get community? Are you willing to just ask?
0: So Jesus, help us to be community, to extend the gracious love and unconditional acceptance that you have shown us. Would you show us who you'd like us to invite? Would you give us the courage to ask? And we pray this in your name, Jesus, amen.